Good morning and welcome. Uh, whether you're in front of me here or you're joining us online, uh, welcome. It's great to see you here. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, my name's Tim, and I'm one of the pastoral workers here at St. Mary's. And today, as Andrew mentioned, we'll be looking at the 10th commandment. So let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things that we may have life in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got good news and bad news. Which would you want first? That's often the beginning of a joke. But oftentimes in real life, when someone comes to you with that proposition, it's important, whether whichever you hear first, to receive both. Because you need both to have the proper perspective of the situation the person is offering to you. Let me give you an example. So, if I give good news that I found the cure for this rare degenerative disease that's usually fatal, and that is a relatively painless cure that has a 100% cure rate, Wow, you say, wow, that's great for science, great for medicine in general. Wow. So you all agree that's good news, but maybe not related to you, unless you receive bad news that you have contracted this rare and degenerative disease. Suddenly, that good news becomes real, really good, because now it applies to you, isn't it? So that's the approach that I would take uh, for today's uh, message, the good frame of good, bad news and good news, to explore the 10th commandment, which is you shall not covet. So I'll explore it in two main sections. The first section is how the 10th commandment reveals our utter failure, our terrible failure, and that's the bad news part of it. But of course, there's good news in how the 10th commandment points us to true fulfillment. And my hope for us today is to hear, of, learn of how we are all dead under God's law and we can only live in Christ. So let's begin by looking at the, the 10th commandment as written in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. Here it says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or don his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Now, wait a minute. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you would say, haven't these things already been prohibited in the seventh commandment, which is do not commit adultery, and the eighth commandment, which is do not steal? So what are we doing with the tenth commandment? Is the tenth commandment unnecessary? Is it extra fluid? Could we do away with it? We just need nine, right? Now, these laws are, are related to one another. There is a connection. In fact, it, this was brought up when uh, Andrew was preaching on the eighth commandment of do not steal. That's linked to, to covetousness. But what's the difference? So, um, I once heard a joke that said this way. Uh, this, this teacher of the law was describing teaching, okay, it's adultery if you take, uh, you see a pretty woman and you take a second look. So the person heard that and went away thinking, Okay, so I'll just take one good, long first look, right? But my friends, although that joke may illustrate something true, that, that adultery is taking a, even the glance is adultery in the heart because it's not just about the physical act of sex, but even where the will has been turned to desiring that, that's adultery. Covetousness takes one step back to even when the moment the desire sparks in the mind. So even the first look itself 
may not be adultery, but it's actually covetousness. Okay? So when we take that frame of mind and look at this commandment, when it says, do not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's spouse. So in, in our hearts, sometimes we go, oh, I wish my wife didn't nag me so much, was more gentle, more loving in her words. Like, like so-and-so's wife, wouldn't that be nice? Or wives, women, right? If you go, oh, if only my husband would be more proactive, would listen, would do more chores around the house without me asking. Like so-and-so's husband. That's coveting. Do not desire your neighbor's house. If you look at your house and says, oh, it's so small, so cramped, so messy. I wish you could stay in this, this bigger place, this other person's house, a garden and balcony, has, has people to tend the, the grounds, so nice and manicured. Or has that kitchen set or that island set or whatever it is, oh, so nicely designed. Or his field or male servants, ox, donkey, anything else that's your neighbor's. It can even go beyond that. If we go looking at other people and say, oh, I wish I had that person's job that can pay so well, that can travel so much, that can afford a high rolling lifestyle. Oh, my car's a bit old and beat up, dinged up a bit. If only can drive that brand of car, that luxury car to show that I've made it. Once I pull up, people know that I've made it. I walk out and then I'm wearing that, that watch, that, that designer watch. Or using this, this phone. Once I whip it out, people know that I've made it. Or that bag, that brand of bag. I don't have to be showy about it, I just flash it around a bit. And everyone knows I've made it. Friends, it can even go deeper, isn't it? Why can't I look like that person? Why can't I have that person's happiness? Why can't I have their life? All these are signs of coveting. And social media has made coveting worse, isn't it? Now, I, now let, I'll just use, use myself as an example. When I scroll through Instagram, and it's, it's great um, that, you know, borders have opened up, people are traveling. But when I look at pictures and my friends go, oh, wow, this, all people going to Taiwan or Japan and, and going for staycations, even in KL. And I'll be like, oh, I wish I could. And before I know it, I'm coveting as well. Now, before I go on, if all that I've mentioned just now, and you were waiting to hear me say something, look, did the preacher mention this, just to know that, am I coveting if I'm doing this? Am I coveting if I'm doing that? Or even if you're listening, trying to say, okay, the preacher pointed out about social media, but I mean, come on, it can't be wrong. I can't help it when I scroll through and I feel something, right? That can't be sin, isn't it? I want to lovingly, as lovingly as, as lovingly as I can, want to tell you that you've missed the point. If somehow you've managed to justify yourself throughout all nine sermons of our Ten Commandments series, please listen now. The Tenth Commandment is not extrafluous. It's not unnecessary. The reason the Tenth Commandment was put there not, was not for us to go, check, I'm justified. Check, I have obeyed this command again. Yes, no steal. Check, no covenant. Yes, check, no. The Tenth Commandment was put there to reveal that we can't, we can't obey God's law. The very moment that desire stirs up in your heart, that's coveting. And that's meant to point you to the fact that we're doomed. We can't do it. We are unable, utterly unable to keep God's law. 
And James too will put it in a more grave uh, manner in verse 10 to 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point becomes guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. You are a lawbreaker. If you've kept the past nine somehow perfectly but fail at the tenth, you are a lawbreaker. I am a lawbreaker. All of us, we are guilty of breaking God's law. Now, before you may go and say, oh, come on, Tim, scrolling through social media and that's a sin? Are you telling me that's so grave as do not murder? How can this be so evil? So I'll use Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 to 13 to illustrate how evil coveting is. Coveting is evil primarily in two ways. Demonstrated here. I'll read from verse 12. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So the first way, first evil, is that they have forsaken God, the fountain of living waters. And us, in our coveting, what we have done is that we have turned away from God. We've turned away and only looked at the lack. Look at what we don't have, right? And as we look at what we don't have, we are not looking at what we do have, at how God has blessed us. We are not looking at what, how, what God has given us. We are forgetting Him. If I may illustrate with one of my kids, it's like one of my kids, I'm not, I'm not going to say which one, right? Uh, they, they demand ice cream before dinner. And like a good parent, I'm not going to give that to them. So they'll throw a temper. Now, this is despite the fact that we've had a wonderful day. I've brought them out uh, to the bird park. They've had lots of fun. They had a great lunch. They, they played with their friends. I, I did all these things for them. I've, I've even cooked their favorite dinner on the table. Everything lined up for them. They want ice cream now. And I say no, because I'm not a horrible dad, okay? I'll say no. But when they realize they don't get their way, they throw a fit. I don't love you, daddy. I don't want you, daddy. They, they run to the corner as if no one has ever loved them in their whole life. And they cry. You would think I'm a horrible father. If you just took a snapshot of that moment, you think I'm a horrible father, isn't it? Now, we may laugh at the antics of a child, but friends, that's all of us before God. When we say, God, I want that job. I want that relationship. I want this, God. If not, I won't be complete. If not, I won't be happy. We are doing the same thing to God. We're ignoring the way God has already loved us and blessed us and called us to himself. If we just focus on what we don't have. We are discontent. We whine and we complain. We have forgotten God. That's the first way. The second way is much, much worse. Jeremiah here says that his people have carved out broken cisterns. Now, what's a cistern? Maybe those of you who were um, born before this era of indoor plumbing, you do not realize. Those of you who are old enough, you remember, um, before there was uh, indoor plumbing, there were stone uh, water tanks in, on the ground floor where you bathe from with a ladle, right? That's a cistern. Before indoor plumbing, the way, means of uh, having water in the house is by a cistern, okay? It could be for a town, for a house, and it's, it's a stone area in the ground, and when it's broken, it's cracked, it can't hold water. The water just flows out. But what happens to the one inch at the bottom? There's still water. One inch at the bottom, what happens? It tends to get dust, dusty, muddy, murky. 
as the silk comes in, it settles at the bottom. That water in a broken cistern. And God's people were saying, if God is a fountain of living water, they're saying, I don't want this living water, this fresh mountain spring. I don't want it. I want this one inch deep muddy water to drink from. And that, my friends, is evil because it's saying, this is not as good as this. So likewise, when we are saying, God, I will never be satisfied until I get this job, until I get this amount in my bank account, until I get this branded goods, God, I will never be satisfied. Even though you've given me all of yourself, even though you've given me your word, I will not be satisfied until I have this. We, my friends, we are putting our lips to this one-inch muddy water, saying, this will quench my thirst. It's horrific. It's horrible. Because the fountain of living water, fresh, pure, cold, life-giving water is right there. It's evil, that's what it is. It's saying to God, God, you're not good. This, this will satisfy me. You can't. You're not good enough for me, oh God. And that's why coveting leads us to two kinds of death, as we see next. The first death, as we refer to, is how coveting cannot sustain you. It will not satisfy you. You hunger for things in this life, your career or, or branded goods. You will feel good in that one moment, but it will not last. It will not satisfy you. It's a, it's a figurative kind of death because it only leaves you wanting more. It can never satisfy you nor sustain you. Not even that relationship. No. But it's worse because it leads to a second and more lasting kind of death, the literal death of eternity, as we see in Colossians 3, verses 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these things, the wrath of God is coming. Covetousness, friends, is linked in with idolatry and linked in with sexual immorality, impurity, and all the evil things that destroy God's good creation. And therefore, all these things incur God's wrath. And we've established just now that even the moment the desire comes up, we want to compare, that's coveting, we have desired, we have turned aside from God, we have said, God, you're not good enough, and we have incurred God's wrath. That's what the law does. And that's how Paul illustrates the law in Romans 7. He uses the 10th command here in Romans 7 verse 7. What then shall we say? Is the law sin? No, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Friends, it is not that the law is bad. But the law clearly reveals the sin in us that desires so much to turn away from God. We have all sinned and therefore we all deserve God's wrath. That's where all of us are. That's the bad news. And it would be unloving for me to hide that from you. The actual situation of all of humanity that we are all under God's wrath. Remember, the main point for us today, we are all dead under God's law but we can only live in Christ. So how does Paul end this chapter in chapter 7 of Romans? He goes, wretched man that I am. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Friends, 
Every moment that desire comes is sin. Every moment we turn and want something that's not good for us, that sin is death. We can't deliver ourselves. We can't for one moment think that we can save ourselves. And we, like Paul, need to ask, who will deliver us? Friends, if you're thirsty, if you're unsatisfied, if you're realizing that you're broken and you need help, let us do what Christ did. In the next line, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The good news of Jesus is that it's only through Jesus that we can try and find true fulfillment. And that's what we'll look at next in how the Ten Commandments provides us fulfillment in three ways. The first way, we'll follow through Paul's argument, thanks be to God, and he continues on in Romans 8, verses 1 to 4. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. My friends, the law shows us our sin but can't help us out of it. It shows us that we are condemned, but that's it. It can't save us out of that. But God did what the law could not do. God did what we couldn't do. By what? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternal Son of God, came into our world, our humanity, born of a virgin, became fully human to be all that we are and was sinless except for sin. He was sinless. He lived a perfect life so that He can die the sinner's death on the cross, that, that God condemned sin in the flesh, in us fully, because Jesus fully bore our humanity. Therefore, he could fully take on our guilt. The wrath that we incurred by our twisted hearts fell on him fully, that Christ bore it. All our law-breaking, God's wrath poured out on him, that punishment poured out on him, because that was what he came for. And what happens then? Now that he has borne that condemnation on our behalf, we take his righteousness. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Friends, not that we obeyed the law at all, but that Christ did. That on the cross, he offered an exchange. He took our life that we might take his so we stand before God as if we've never coveted before, as if we've never lusted, as if we've never hated, as if we've loved perfectly as Christ did. And that's how we can stand before God in Christ. Remember, the law is not a standard to show that you can do this and be saved. It's a standard to show this is God's perfect love. And this is where your love is not at. And this is where you will never be able to love. Therefore, Christ came the only way to live and not die under God's wrath is to believe in Christ, that he obeyed that for you. He died and took your punishment for you. He was settled on the cross. He took our sin. And as he raised, was raised in resurrection glory, we get his resurrection life. We get all that he is. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord, if you're not in Christ, may I encourage you, no matter how you may have failed, no matter what's in your past, what guilt you have, trust that Christ has borne it on the cross for you. And there is forgiveness in Him, that you can live in Him. 
And it's only in Christ that we can meet our heart's greatest desires, as we'll see next. Another part of the good news of the Tenth Commandment is that the Tenth Commandment is not a prohibition against having any desires whatsoever. Now, it may seem like it as I was going through the list when the, the moment something sparks in your heart, that's covetousness, right? But the law against covetousness is not the law against desire. It's not about not wanting something. Similarly, it's not wrong to have a thirst. But it's wrong to, meet, to seek to meet that thirst in muddy water when there's a fountain of living water available. Similarly, the, the law against coveting is not because we have uh, a desire, but that our desires are too low. Our desires are too pathetic, where God has offered you something far greater that can satisfy you far fuller, that can last, your satisfaction that lasts far longer, eternally, in Himself. That's what Christ gives us. That's what God gives us in Christ. If coveting is discontentment, the solution to godly contentment is contentment in Christ. It's not about not desiring earthly things, as Matthew 6, 31 to 33 will point out. God knows that we have earthly needs. He knows we need to eat. He knows we need to drink. He knows what we need to wear. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness that we are not to seek these things above God. We are to seek God first. Why? Because it is only God's kingdom that will last. It's only those, that which belongs to Christ and God and His kingdom that will last and will be meaningful for an eternity. And for those of us who are in Christ, we will live for an eternity. So we'll be living for eternity with that in mind, not this. And I'll point us to Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. It says, For if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We need to be viewing, brothers and sisters, we need to be viewing the things of this world with this proper perspective. All the things that we have in this world will not last. All the stuff that we have are stuff of future garage sales and garbage, garbage dumps. In the, we're in the process of moving right now, these few weeks, my family and I, we realize we've accumulated so much that we either, either give it away or we throw it away because it's just stuff. It won't last. Don't put your self-worth or your satisfaction or your identity in things that don't last, that will break down. Put it instead in Christ. Treasure Christ because he's lovely. Treasure Christ because he is of eternal worth. Live for him. Let us today be seeking to do the things that will get us more of Christ. Not just by looking at his word and praying every day, but by fellowship with people for whom we will be existing with forever in eternity. We'll be housemates, roommates, neighbors for eternity in heaven. Seek to be serving such people every week. The joy to, be, to welcoming God's people in to his house, to be serving in one of the ushering teams on Sunday, or even not missing every opportunity to gather. Coming in online is fine, but it doesn't meet, beat coming in and, and shaking hands and having conversations face to face every Sunday, and also as opportunity comes, church camp's coming right around the corner. Will you sign up if it comes? Will you treasure Christ? 
Do that which gets you more of him, not less, not more of the world. Last but not least, Christ enables us to fulfill the law. So this is the Tenth Commandment. It's also a good place to sum up the entire Ten Commandments because it points us to the ultimate fulfillment of the law, which is to love. Romans 13 verse 9 to 10 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So yes, the law is meant to show us this is God's standard of love that we can't live up to. We have failed. We are lawbreakers. We need Christ. And Christ has paid the price. We are forgiven in him. And Christ is the one that satisfies and gives our life meaning. Therefore, we live for him. We love him. We seek to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. Not that we can do it perfectly, but because we love him in return. That was what the law was meant to do anyway. It's Christ that enables us to fulfill this. And the greatest way to love another person, especially if they don't know it, is to tell them bad news, if they have it, isn't it? To tell them of the actual situation they're in and especially not to leave out exceedingly great news of the solution to their predicament. And that's the gospel. We are all dead under God's law and we can only live in Christ. Friends, can you imagine a place where all of us, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength? A place saturated with the love of God and that the, the, the love of God saturates each in every individual so much that we too cherish and love those which bear God's image, each other, that we love each other, seeking the benefit of the other. Therefore, we don't steal, we don't cheat, we don't harm, but rather we cherish and build up that we care. That is paradise. That is a utopia. That's heaven. Friends, where we are all loving God perfectly and loving each other. But heaven is not just when after we die. God is beginning, he's building us towards that today. Today, as we seek him, today, as we seek to love him, God begins a work in our heart today that will carry on to eternity. So let's not live for this life, friends, because that's too short-sighted. Let us live for the eternity that we are meant for. Let us love the way that we are meant to. And let us do so by His grace. Because how else can we do it? We can't do it by our own strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your life-giving law, for how you point us and enable us, Lord, to love you the way that we should. Forgive us for all the ways in which our love has just petty and selfish and, and so pathetic. We need your help, oh God. Help us because we're forgetful. Help us because we're easily distracted. Help us because the world just shouts so loudly. Help us to not be trapped by the world and its desires, but to seek Christ and Christ alone. Help us to do so, not alone, but with our brothers and sisters together as a community under your name. We pray and ask this in that name. Amen.